0: Well, today, if you would take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. Jesus is more than you think. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you probably would, but you probably haven't really thought much about it. Whatever you think about Jesus, he's more than that. I'm learning it as we head into the final parts of this History Channel's epic series, the Bible. I am reminded of the awesomeness, the grandeur of this great God that we serve. And I don't want you to forget it because sometimes in our our finite minds, we can lose sight of the infinite grandeur of this God. Do you remember your first love? That decision to marry the one that you're married to probably today or maybe your best friend or somebody that is just a kindred spirit that you run with now? You love them, you gave them, You gave to them, you served them, you would do the thing that you probably never do now, you would spend an hour or two on the phone, you would write them love letters, why? Because it was all about relationship. Back then, you didn't have to do it, it wasn't a rule, it wasn't rigid, you just did it out of relationship. And I want to remind us today that that's really the big difference and one of the big journeys all of us have to make is to make sure that we're not involved with just a religion with Jesus Christ, but that we still love him. We still serve him. We still talk to him. We still spend time with him, not because we have to, but because we get to, because we want to, and he wants to have that time with us. But there are religious ideas and attitudes that can quickly infiltrate our lives. Would you agree? It's possible for us, like the people of Jesus today, to have our own ideas about Jesus that are less than what he really is. And we have a tendency to want to make Jesus be who we want him to be, to reduce him to manageable terms and manageable size. How many of us really try and fit Jesus into our boxes, but he's always bigger than any box you can put him into? The problem with that is those that we limit how we see him and oftentimes what he can do in our lives. We pick the verses that we like about Jesus and ignore the ones we don't. We imagine him as being on our side for whatever we're for, whether the Bible says it or not. We make him over in our image instead of allowing him to make us in his image. Kevin DeYoung posted this on his blog some time ago. This is what he said at the beginning. He said, Jesus is very popular in America, but not every Jesus is the real Jesus. And he listed some of the popular reductions and minimizing of Jesus that he sees in America. See if any of these sound familiar. There's the Republican Jesus. He's against tax increases, activist judges. He's for family values, and he wants everyone to own a firearm. Yeah, amen. That's a Texas girl. Uh, There's the democratic Jesus. He's against Wall Street and Walmart. He's up for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. Hey, these aren't personal. This is from another. I'm just sharing them. But I can tell some of you are already relating to it. There's the therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are, But don't be too hard on yourself. There's the Starbucks Jesus. He drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, and drives a hybrid. (laughs) There's touchdown Jesus. He helps athletes run faster, jump higher than non-Christians, and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls in the final four. There's gentle Jesus who's meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, and he walks around barefoot wearing a sash, looking into the heavenlies. There's hippie Jesus who teaches everyone to give peace a chance. He imagines a world without religion, and he helps us remember that all you need is love. There's yuppie Jesus. He encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars, because then you can buy a boat, a bigger house, and whatever else you want. There's spirituality Jesus. He hates religion, churches, pastors, priests, doctrine, and he would rather have people out in nature finding the God within while listening to ambiguously spiritual music. There's the revolutionary Jesus who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man, and blame all things on the systems. There's guru Jesus, a wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your Center. There's boyfriend Jesus. He wraps his loving arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in the secret place. There's the good example Jesus who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. Any of these sound familiar? See, it's really easy to embrace a number of these. And we make Jesus what we want him to be, but he's always more. Jesus is always more than what you know. He's the son of the living God. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another rabbi. He's not just a wonder worker. He is the one that these people, them, then, the Jewish people, the world, 2,000 years ago, we're waiting for the son of David, the one who comes to deliver us from captivity. The goal of the Mosaic law, everything points to him, the almighty God in the flesh who comes to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, help the poor, free the prisoners and proclaim good news to the poor. He is the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He's all that. And guess what? And more. And I want to remind you today that as we go into Easter, Jesus is more than you could ever imagine. Don't small and dummy him down. Allow him to enlarge your thinking and your vision of who he is. Today we come to Luke chapter 19 where we're going to see it's the beginning of the end for Jesus. It starts on Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of his final week before he dies. It's about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is one of the few stories that are described in all four Gospels of the Bible. And as we break down this story, we'll see that Jesus is more than we thought. And it might even seem a little bit differently than what you thought. Luke chapter 19, I just want to quickly read a portion of it. it says, It when, Jesus, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two his, of his disciples, and he said, Go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying this, say this, that the Lord needs it. I, it was a few years ago I had a guy come into my office and kind of pick apart some of the things that I'd said. One time, he, One of the things he said was, he goes, you know, I can't serve the God that you talk about because you say that he needs us. And I was talking about that he needs us to reach people of the lost. And I was kind of taken back. I go, wow, I didn't know that was that such a controversial statement. So I started going through the Bible, looking up needs, and I come to this one. Aha, God does have needs. Because he said he couldn't serve a God that has needs. Do you know God has needs? And Jesus says, here, I need to go, go get me a donkey. He needed a tomb so he could resurrect from. He needs you and I so that we can reach this world. Well, verse 32, so those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the young donkey, his owner said to them, why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their robes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. Now, as he was going along, they were spreading their robes on the road. Now, he came near down, or passed down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Notice this some of the religious people. Now, some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if they keep silent, the very stones would cry out. Great point here, that, just kind of a sidebar as I'm thinking about this. A lot of times people are always looking for miracles, and I believe in them, and I, I, I love them. But miracles will never convince people about Jesus. Because in just a matter of days, most of these people, All of these people, except for a few, are going to turn away from Jesus, and they can shout and say hallelujah about the things that he does in terms of miracles, but that will never convince anybody that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this Sunday, the starting of the Passion Week, and Jesus is making a statement here, because he is more than who we think he is. For three years, we understand Jesus avoided a lot of publicity, didn't he? But now, he's literally provoking the religious leaders to kind of a spiritual showdown at the Jerusalem Corral. He's setting this whole thing up now. And he stages a parade and deliberately provokes them so that they will see and have to deal with this whole thought of, is he who he says he is? I'm getting just a little bit of ring, Brian. So it's the Passover, as they said, the annual Jewish celebration of their deliverance from Egypt. And you can read about it in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, how Pharaoh refused and, and, and finally lets him go and God delivers them. And then they spend 40 years in the desert. To celebrate God's deliverance and at the Passover of Exodus chapter 12, each year, thousands of pilgrims crowded Jerusalem to celebrate this time. Literally, thousands. It was like their Independence Day, their 4th of July. But now there's kind of a replay coming back, where they were out of Egyptian slavery and bondage, now they're back into bondage and uh, not so much slavery, but they're bound, they're under the the oppression of the Roman Empire, and they want nothing more than to be free from it. They longed. they've been waiting for hope and believing, praying, asking God for another deliverer, a new Messiah, another Moses. Who would do what? Who would drive the Romans out of their homeland, make them a free and great nation again. All of a sudden, while there had been the rise of many rabbis and teachers and false prophets during this time, all of a sudden there's this young rabbi by the name of Jesus Christ who's doing miracles and experiencing powerful things in the name of God. And he's got this following and he's been on the scene. And so these people are thinking, here he is. He's our Messiah. He's coming, and he's going to kick the stuffings out of Rome, and we're going to be free again, and we're going to be this nationalistic community representing God. It's into this coming storm of expectation that Jesus rides in on Palm Sunday. This crowd jubilantly welcomes him as their king and savior. If you could imagine the delirium of the folks in Europe, when the Allied troops liberated them from the end of World War II, and add to that the patriotism that we experienced on the 4th of July, you would begin to get a sense of the mood that's taking place there. How excited, how thrilled, how, well, expectant these people were. These first six verses that we got to, got to see on this screen describe the preparation for the event as Jesus sends two disciples to secure this donkey that he would ride in. And it was simply the, the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah 9, nine. That's why the scribes and the Pharisees there were so upset because they know that once he made the decision to do that, what's he doing? He's declaring, he's saying, I am the coming Messiah. Jesus is making a statement here. By riding this colt into Jerusalem on the Passover week, it is an implicit claim that I am the one sent by God, the Messiah. And so how do the people respond? Well, they do it by spreading their cloaks, putting up palm branches and shouting praises, spreading their cloaks on the road. This was something that would have been done for a king. This is what they shouted, "'Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.'" blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They're saying, this is the Bible right before our eyes. It's the prophetic pronouncements taking place. Woo! Hosanna! But what does Hosanna mean? It means save now. And it probably expressed their true hope and belief that Jesus had come to save them. To... Get the Romans out. Let them occupy their land freely again. They're probably also making some other statements. Hosanna, save now. Overthrow them politically. Hosanna, save now. Help us economically. Hosanna, save now. Lead us forward militarily. And is there any wonder that as the week continued to roll on and these people realized that none of these were the things that Jesus had come to do and to accomplish. Is it any wonder that they turned on him so swiftly and removed themselves from following him? A couple of things I want to note in terms of Jesus writing in on that Sunday. Can you imagine, we saw some pictures of I mean, can you imagine the Roman soldiers? They're set up in Jerusalem. They're probably laughing, snickering, as Jesus rides in on this little donkey, because see, remember when a Roman leader would come in after vanquishing or conquering a city or a people or something big happened, they would officially come cruising into a city. Wasn't on a donkey? No, a Roman ruler, a Roman leader would have rode in on a black stallion. It would have been followed by chariots, marching soldiers, gleaming shields, marching in step. It would have been a gala event. But Jesus is the Messiah. He isn't what they were expecting. They expected a military leader who would vanquish their enemies and lead them to freedom that way. But Jesus comes as a spiritual leader. Even as Peter said to Barabbas, we come in peace. He says, I'm coming. I'm going to challenge your hearts because I want to bring you back to god before i remove all the oppressive issues around you a pastor and writer david mckenna said it this way jesus's triumphal entry on a donkey was a symbol of peace not war it was of humility not pride behind him comes an entourage of 12 called to be disciples and a rabble of common people whom he has healed and set free They themselves serve as his trophies of conquest that didn't come by bloody violence, but was established by unremitting love. Can I remind you today, something that we oftentimes forget in, in, in our culture, the busyness of life, and trying to focus so much on the here and now, Jesus came then, but he's going to come again. It's not going to be on a donkey, though. Revelation 19 and Jude verses 14 and 15 tell us that he's going to be riding a steed, a white horse followed by tens of thousands of his followers to do what? In Revelation 19, he's going to come to bring judgment on an unbelieving world. See, here he comes, John 3, 16 and 17 tells us he doesn't come as a judge. He comes to bring salvation to all. That's the message that we have at Easter. It's all about his grace. He does not come to judge. He says in, 17, in John 3, 17, I didn't come to bring judgment, I come to save the world. But he is coming again, loved ones. And next time it will be as a conquering, judging king. And I say that because we should never forget that. We should never forget that for our personal lives, and we should never forget that because of the relational orbit that we have around us, that heaven and hell still are in the balance. That's what eternity is all about. I did two memorial services in 24 hours, and I always remind people, Friday and Saturday, don't forget, this isn't the end. This is a real short time. But they had expectations on Jesus. Don't we see the same thing kind of happening with us and Jesus today? Don't we have a tendency within each one of us to cash it in when things don't work out, when they don't go our way, when we kind of get ticked off at God when we're no longer seeing the miracles or the wonder bread being distributed and our bank account isn't full and the job isn't going well. Where's Jesus? Or he says, this is unacceptable in your life? We say, bye-bye. If I can just crowd you a little bit this morning, if you're expecting Jesus to be a good luck charm or expecting him to fulfill you financially, Fulfill you socially, fulfill you vocationally. Can I just tell you the truth? You're you're probably going to be disappointed. Because when things don't go your way, you're going to go, well, this isn't the God that I wanted to serve. I thought he would fulfill me. No, 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 no. He said he would come and fill you with his life, not fulfill your wants, your desires. Because what that is, is more of a God that simply is like an Aladdin's lamp, a genie that you go, this is what I want, this is what I expect. And and Jesus never came to operate that way. And that's part of the problem. They were disappointed in what King Jesus was bringing at this time, and that's why they left. It's interesting, if you study the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And people were enamored. This is the beginning of his ministry. And so they said, oh, man, he's doing what we expected. A miracle like that. He's got to be the Messiah. And so it says that they come, and they wanted to grab him and embrace him and take him, literally take him and make him king. And then it says Jesus left. He was gone. He wasn't in their midst anymore. You know why? Hear me, loved ones. You can't make Jesus king. He's already king. But too many of us want to make him king of our lives the way that we want. And part of that's kind of the Americano Christianity. that will always lead to disappointment. Jesus is so much more. Jesus came to save Now, Hosanna, save now. His way, not our way. He came to do it his way, to pay the price and to remove our sin and the effects of it that so entangle us. Listen to me, loved ones. If Jesus never does another thing in my life, your life personally, what he has done, what we celebrate this week is more than enough to receive our loyalty. Our affection, our eternal devotion. If he never gives another blessing to you, to me, I owe him my life because of what he did at Calvary. And see, that's how you'll begin to understand some of the differences if you're making the journey from religion to relationship. See, these people were simply religious fans. As long as they saw Jesus doing the stuff, woohoo! yes, yes, yes. But see, when you enter into a relationship, it isn't based on how Jesus performs. He's already done the ultimate performance. And you can either be a religious fan or you'll be a faithful follower. Second story that the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tie in here is the temple. Jesus makes another powerful statement here. Verse 45, he says this. He went to the temple complex, and he began to throw out those who were selling, and he said, it was written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. Every day he was teaching in the temple complex, and notice this, the chief priests, the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, they were looking for a way to destroy him. They wanted to find a way to do it, because all the people were being captivated by what he said. This story, the cleansing of the temple, is in all the uh, is in all the gospels, and it's in the synoptics. The synoptics are the ones that are similar—Matthew, Mark, and Luke—which are really a lot of the gospels that were. They're very similar in structure and everything. And you'll see that in. In, the other, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptics, the same Gospels, generally speaking, they always have it at this place in the, in the Gospel. Interestingly, John, who doesn't necessarily do a chronological work of the Gospels like the other three, he puts it at the beginning. Now, some scholars go, well, we're not sure. Maybe there was two cleansing. I, I, I'm not really sure that there wasn't, but I'm not sure that there is because it's at the same setting. And John wasn't as chronological as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I have a tendency to believe that there was one cleansing of the temple. John just happened to put it in a different place. And you can find scholars on both sides to agree or disagree with that. But as he arrives in Jerusalem, many would have expected Jesus to head to the Roman fortress, to deal with the Romans. Instead, he heads to the temple to deal with the Jews. Expectations. Surprise! We thought you were going to do what we wanted you No, 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 we're going to deal with you. So Jesus goes to the temple because his primary concern was never military, never political, but always spiritual. And he goes there to confront Israel's need for God, not the Roman government or the Jewish religious and political powers. Now, if you just go a few pages ahead to John chapter 2, I want you to see, this one has just a little different nuance of the cleaning, cleansing of the temple than the other three Matthew, Mark, and Luke have. It says here the Jewish Passover was near. Same time frame. So Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple complex, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, but he also found the money changers sitting there. Get this, verse 15. After making a whip of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep and their oxen. He begins to turn over tables, spill the money. Can you see Jesus just going postal? I mean, I love this picture of him because he's making a statement, friends. It's a big statement. Here's what's going on now. So the the, the Jewish temple was divided into four courts. The largest outermost court was the court to the Gentiles. Anybody could go in there, non-Jews, any ethnicity, nationality was open to all so they could come and seek God. But then there was the second court in the temple proper. This was the court of the Israelites and Jewish women uh, could go in here as well, but no further. And then the third court was the court for men where circumcised Jewish males, priests and everybody could go to, but no women, no Gentiles. Then of course there was the the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go once a year to make atonement for the sins of the nation. This is a big, big temple. Now, the court of the Gentiles, as you saw in the DVD clip, had become a marketplace of sacrificial animals. Animals were sacrificed every day in the Jewish tradition and culture, but during Passover, literally thousands of, were sacrificed because Jewish law required that these sacrifice animals would have been perfect, unblemished animals and they would be brought for the priest to be checked out to make sure that they were perfect and unblemished, which is really a picture of Jesus Christ coming, the perfect Lamb of God. Now, if the priest found any defect Any minute issue with one of those uh, animals to be sacrificed that these people brought, guess what? He could say, sorry, look at this defect. You're going to go out over here and buy. And guess who got a little bit of it? Who got to skim off the top? Yeah, the religious leaders who were making these decisions. So you know they're going to find a defect. And this is what ticks Jesus off. Because what had started out as a convenience, as a way to help people enter into worship, now became a a ripoff. So thousands of Passover pilgrims would have arrived either without animals or with animals that they thought were unblemished, but they had to buy from vendors who sold them at inflated prices. Let me give you an example. Think of going to a baseball game, football game. Think of going to Disneyland and you want to have a little lunch for your kids. And that's what they did. It was a big-time spiritual Gouge. Well, secondly, there's Jewish law required temple tax to support the temple. For some taxes, this would be be two days' wages. Because of the second commandment forbade making an image that could be worshipped or on coin, the the Jews wouldn't pay that tax with a coin that had Caesar's image on it. So they would have to exchange the money with the money changers, or foreign currency coming in. they would have to exchange as well. And oftentimes they would exchange their coins for a Tyrian shekel., uh-huh. But the money changers. And the religious establishment made a real nice profit off of every exchange. So you've got these people coming in. It's like gouging and raising the prices when people come a holiday make it more expensive and jesus comes, and he walks up there and there's the noise of the vendors shouting pilgrims arguing livestock making noise the aroma of a barnyard probably made it seem like a county fair meeting wall street it was a mess though and this is the place where gentiles were to come to be able to seek god So what does Jesus do? He goes ballistic. And he begins turning over the tables of money changers. Can you imagine the sound of all this change and money just flying everywhere? Literally, there's animals running, so the fur's got to be flying. And Jesus is just a little heated. Another nuance from one of the other Gospels, the Gospel of Mark. Jesus makes this point. He says, it is not written... My house will be called a house of prayer. And this is what Jesus adds, or this is what the gospel writer Mark adds that Jesus said a place of prayer for all nations, all people. See, it's powerful because that took, this takes place in the Gentile courtyard. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 56, verse 7, where he speaks of God's salvation in the Isaiah chapter 56, about God's salvation being extended to all of those who have been excluded, foreigners, exiles, Gentiles. You'll notice I took us to John chapter 2 where it says that Jesus makes a whip. (laughs) So much for this gentle Jesus, meek and mild, huh? There's a pretty strong display of wrath and indignation here that is righteous. Look at me. Don't put a smile on Jesus here. This is a tense moment. His voice is probably loud. It is being exerted. He is emoting, and it's going to be stern because this is serious stuff that he's talking about, and it shouldn't be seen, loved ones, as anything less. See, sometimes we we have these expectations of Jesus we miss the full totality of who he is. This is a moment where he is beginning to show his wrath and the ultimate judgment to come. People have a hard time associating Jesus' holiness and even his wrath with his love. But never forget, Jesus is the message. He is the expression of the living God He is God speaking to us. And Jesus is speaking here by his words and by his actions. He wants to communicate something. Jesus is more than you think. And when you think you have him pegged in one way, he is something more than that. He will surprise you. He will sneak up on you. And he will always challenge you because he loves you, wants the best for you. There's a couple of lessons here, I think, for the church. First of all, the church exists not just for those inside of it, but those outside as well. We need to be a place, loved ones, where those outside could come, and they can seek God. When it becomes all about us and only us, we have missed the heart of God for all the nations. That's why some people don't like us as a church. That's why some people come and some people often leave because we don't do enough for everybody in here. And I make no apology for that. If you know Jesus Christ, and if you don't, you can know him today, but once you know Jesus Christ, we think everything's about us. It is not. If it was all about us, then Jesus would say, beam him up. What do I need him for? because he wants us to reach the nations. And that's why we do what we do. As imperfectly as we may do it, we will never forget it's about our community. That's why we do church the way that we do. I want Creekside, we want Creekside to be a safe place to hear life-changing message of Jesus Christ, a place where everyone would feel welcome. This is why we beat the drum, gather Unto him, let's grow up so that we can go for him. Hear me. Our world is not looking for a new definition of Christianity. It is looking for a new demonstration of it. I don't watch Facebook much because it kind of makes me mad. Some of it's righteous, some of it isn't. But I'm going to tell you, Some of us post things on Facebook that do not represent the living God. And some of us don't think about what we say or what we post on there to represent Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then Creekside. I want to challenge you, love. Oh, Pastor, you're getting legalistic now. You know, call it what you want, because by the time I'm done, you'll probably understand what I'm saying. Because Jesus does care about how we live and how we talk. He does. Because we're to be this expression of who he is and his life. That's why the world isn't looking. They're not looking for some kind of rigid, religious, spiritual out. They just want... They just want a demonstration of who Jesus is that's real. There's a lesson or two for you and me. See, these people traveled to worship Jesus in purity. And this tax and this buying of animals started out to be a convenience for the people that come. But pretty soon, the greed and deceit of men became the enemies. Of Christ and the worship of people's lives. Hear me. Get this. If you're going to live a life of worship of the living God, it will cost you. Make no mistake about that. You come to Jesus, it's all free, He's paid the price. But when you come to Him, loved ones, there will be a price. There will probably be finances involved. There will be emotions involved. There will be physical things involved. You can't read the New Testament about Jesus, and you can't read the Old Testament, where when you make a decision to follow Jesus, there's not a cost. If you want to come and sit on your blessed assurance, if you want to come and not do anything, then you want to have a religious relationship with with the living God, but not a spiritual relationship. I'm sorry, but you cannot get around the Bible teaching that. True worship is always going to cost you. Today, guess what? We are called his temple. Did you know that? Just like Jesus walked into the temple of John 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in three pl- two places, there it talks about this whole idea. And it's talking about being separate from, 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 um, from, um, from sin, specifically sexual sin. And he says, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That this person of the Godhead literally resides in you. Therefore, take care of your body. And then in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17, it also talks about separation from, from, from just dialing in and living with the things of this world. He says, for we are the sanctuary of the living God. What's the sanctuary? A place to dwell, a place to make your home. God makes his home in us, loved ones. And the call in those scriptures is to come away. And the call of John chapter 2 is to come away from the things that rip you off, that are going to steal from you, that ultimately keep you from worship. Selling yourself out. And what do you mean? Oh, there's a lot of ways I can apply this. But I see people quit coming to church because of things they're doing with their life. They come here and they feel too guilty. Can I tell you something? Guilt's good. Condemnation's bad. Condemnation's what the devil does. Guilt is what God does with his Holy Spirit when you start to feel bad about something. That's good because that should make you come to the living God. How many people, you know, how's your temple? Is it clean? What are you doing on Friday or Saturday night? What are you doing through the week? Are there things that keep you from worshiping on a Sunday morning because instead of allowing God to be the glory and the lifter of your head, you kind of come in here kind of shuffling because, oh, I'm not worthy? Not not because of who you are, but because of maybe the way you're living, and you know it. And then you don't feel good about this experience. Today, this is what I want you to see, loved ones. I want you to see Jesus coming to you today, to now, your temple. How is it? Now, hear me. Don't see him coming with a whip to beat you. Remember I said earlier, John three seventeen. he doesn't come to judge. There's a day that that's going to happen, but today he doesn't. But can you see him coming to you and walking through your heart, your soul, your life, your mind, and wanting to turn over some tables because there's things going on that are ripping you off from your worship, from your moving forward in your life with this greater than God. But he's not going to take a whip to you like so many people think. You know what he's going to do? Get this. He's going to come up to you. and He's going to go, Lonnie, Here's the whip. He's going to hand it to you. Really? Oh, yeah. What do you mean by that? Paul said it this way in, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31. He says, judge yourselves, examine yourselves so that you won't be judged. See, Mike, Jesus isn't coming to beat you. He's coming to release you and to love you and to free you. And and he simply wants us to have this life and this abundant life that he talks about in John 10. And so today to now, he says, here's the whip. What I want you to do is I just want you to allow me to turn the tables over and then you shoo out. You move these things out of your life that shouldn't be there. I'm not going to judge you today. Judge yourself. You know. I can't tell you how many people come to my office, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I ask him three questions. Oh, I know I should do that. What's Jesus saying to you? Yeah but, yeah, but no. Get the whip out. Don't beat yourself, but beat those things out that are holding you back. Hear me, loved ones. It is not an option in the New Testament or the Bible to receive Jesus and live the way you want. True worship will cost you. You can't follow Jesus. It is impossible without it being cost. A relationship with God without change to live for him and his way should be unthinkable to every one of us in this room that says, I follow Jesus. And I say that with great love, but I want you to hear the passion because that's the passion of Jesus. Clean it out Today. I want to challenge you. Let go. Remove anything that's holding you back in your worship of Jesus. Could be guilt. Could be unforgiveness. Could be a sin that nobody else knows about. Jesus is coming today and saying, I want to turn it over. But I need your help. Identify. Would you bow your heads with me? I just want you to picture. Picture Jesus coming to you. Not the one with long flowing hair. Could have had it. Not the little limp-wristed, white-faced, emaciated, weak person that so many pictures picture of him of. I want you to see him as this loving God that says, I know your heart, I see it. And I want you to be totally free. And I don't want you to have a religion. I want you to have a relationship with me. That's what I want to walk in. And if there's anything in your life right now, today, that you know is there, and you know God wants you to change, would you just take a couple of minutes in the next couple of moments of silence to confess it and to say, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the whip to it today. Father, I truly believe that religious people can put up with a lot of junk inside their hearts. The Pharisees did. They had all the head answers, but their hearts were miles from you. And I pray, God, that each individual here in this church would always allow you to do heart surgery, to come in and walk through this temple and turn tables over, and that we would hear it and know it and take the whip to it, not ourselves to those things. And I'm thankful for a congregation that wants to walk in relationship and life with Jesus. And it's nothing super spiritual that takes place other than the spiritual life of Jesus that empowers us to make decisions for a preferable future to look more like you. Help us to do that, I pray. Thank you for this group of people assembled in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. 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 May the Lord go with you. May he bless you and keep you. And let's be praying toward this upcoming weekend. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're loved.